Om Sang Saraswati Namaha Namaste. Namaste, everybody. On page 128 of the Devi Gita, we're going to begin chapter 6. And we remember that in chapter 5, the goddess showed her infinite form. And the god said, oh, that's a little too much for us to handle. Please show your finite form. And when she did, the gods bowed down to her with great delight and said, thanks a lot, Mom. Your immense, your virat form is more than we can understand. It just boggles the mind. It, 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 our imagination can't go beyond the limits of infinity. Every time we try to reach to the edge of infinity, there's a tendency to put a border or a barrier or a marker and then say, hmm, what's on the other side? <laughs> and then it goes on farther. So here we, we got the finite form of the Divine Mother and she's smiling and she's happy and she's so delightful and we are so proud to be able to share with her the song of the goddess. And the goddess said to the gods, who is so fortunate as to see this greatly wonderful cosmic form? This capacity to have perceived me is only attained through sincere devotion. Not the study of the Vedas, not the practice of yoga, nor the giving of gifts, nor purifying austerities can make my inconceivable form perceivable. Only through my grace can this form be seen. And remember, her grace is kripa, and kri means do, and pa means get. So only through her grace, what we do is what we're going to get. But not through sadhana, not through learning, not through devotion, only through continuous tapasya, sadhana, at the highest extremities of tapasya, with few pure devotion, with full attention. Pure Can, love. Pure love. Wow, that's the key ingredient to getting the honor to perceive her inconceivable form. Oh Lord of Kings, listen. Now remember Vyasa is telling the story to Jet Magi. The supreme soul becomes an individual soul because of his nature or her nature. Uh, it's Prakriti that makes the Paramatma into Vyakti, into a Jivatma. And by union with the attributes, the Upadis, he thinks himself to be an actor, an enjoyer, etc. He performs various actions of Dharma, manifesting the ideal, and of Dharma, in derogation of the ideal, and attains birth in various wombs, experiencing pleasure and pain accordingly. Again, because of all actions performed during these births, he collects numerous tendencies, sanskaras, which cause him to wear various bodies without end and their, their vasanas and all these desires which have to be fulfilled. And always he experiences pleasures and pains. And this cycle of births and deaths continues with the regular regularity of time. And literally, it's really a great uh, analogy with the regularity of a water wheel. It just keeps going. As long as there's water in the river, that water wheel keeps going. And so does the cycle of births and deaths. Because until we free ourselves, we have nowhere else to go without cessation. Ignorance is the root of this from which arises desire and action must follow. And thus humanity should eternally attempt to destroy ignorance. Life has succeeded in attainment of perfection when ignorance has been destroyed. 
only one way to make perfection in our lives, and that's to destroy ignorance and attain to wisdom. The highest goal is attained by an individual soul when he becomes liberated during his manifested existence. Uh, he becomes Jivanmukt. He's liberated while living. He's got a body, and still he's got no attachment. And knowledge is the only thing that has the capacity to destroy ignorance. The only way to get rid of darkness is to turn on a light. O mountain, the actions performed in the presence of ignorance can only again create ignorance. Such actions cannot destroy ignorance and then it cannot be anticipated that ignorance can be destroyed by actions. <clears throat> ignorance can only be destroyed by illumination, not by action. Again, actions do not give this effect of destroying ignorance. Again and again, some result is desired from action. Attachment arises from desire, and some fault will make the attainment fall short of perfection. Wherever you've got a desire, there's going to be some fault in the action. It's not perfect until there's wisdom. There's no desire. There's just action with wisdom. And therefore, humanity should put forth every effort to attain <laughs> wisdom. Since action is mandated for existence, Ichakriya and Ganeshaktis are inherent. They are the Prakriti, they are the Swabhav, they are the intrinsic nature of every atom of creation. Since action is mandated for existence, therefore, all are bound to act. The ultimate liberation rises only from wisdom, and therefore action with wisdom is a helper in the path of liberation. Therefore, we don't want to do any action from ignorance. If you feel you don't know what you're doing, <clears throat> sometimes, stop! and gather wisdom, and act with wisdom and you can achieve liberation or perfection in action. And if you act with, I'm guessing, is this right or not? Let me try and see. Maybe we'll get lucky. <laughs> but that's not the way to plan our lives as maybe we'll get lucky. Stop and take instruction. Go deeply inside and contemplate, is this the way to perfection? The ultimate liberation rises only from wisdom, and therefore action with wisdom is a helper in the path of liberation. Thus, some say that wisdom and action cannot be in opposition. Wisdom cuts the knots of the heart, while action makes this possible. Gan and karma are not in opposition. It's not like you do either karma yoga or gan yoga. You must do them both. Without gan, there's no yoga. There's no karma that is effective, perfect action in accordance with the ideals of perfection. It is not possible for opposites to be effective simultaneously. It can't be either Gan or, uh, or uh, Carmel. It is not possible for darkness and light to exist simultaneously, and therefore wisdom and action cannot be in opposition. There's no conflict. You're a Karma yogi, you're a Gana yogi. Bakwas. What nonsense! In the Bhagavad Gita, they discuss the four yogas of Dan, Gan, Bhakti, and Karma so that we will understand the intrinsic nature of the composition of yoga. In every union, there 
there is wisdom, and there is action, there is devotion, and there is attentiveness. You can't have one without the others. This is a doctrine of holistic spirituality that she's teaching us. It's not you're a Gana yogi, and he's a Wokta, and she's a karma yogi, and he does a, a, a meditation. Nonsense. We all do all, or we fail to do any. <laughs> Therefore, all actions should be performed with wisdom to the best of one's ability until chitta-shuddhi, until the purification of consciousness is attained. Shama, dhamma, titiksha, Vairagyam, Satya Shambhava, Shama's inner peace, Dhamma, compassion, equilibrium, also generosity, Titikshna, Titiksha to be on duality, Vairagyam, indifference or freedom from attachment. Freedom from attachment is better. Uh, Uchatan will be nicer for free, from indifference. Boyeragya and Tyag, they go hand in hand. It's freedom from attachment. Sattva Shambhava, the establishment of truth within. Until these are entirely attained, there is nothing greater than action. You have to act. How will you attain peacefulness without action? It's not freedom from action that we're seeking. That gives me peace to do nothing. Everyone serve me, and therefore I will be at peace. What am I creating? That's not enlightenment. It's freedom through action, not freedom from action. It's peace in action, not peace because I don't have to do anything. It's boiragya, it's a freedom from attachment because I act on behalf of others without yearning for the fruits of my action, in the absence of which there is no vairagya. How can there be freedom from attachment to my actions if I refuse to act? You, you go act. I'm going to sit here and enjoy peace and contentment. That is not a formula for an enlightened society, nor an enlightened individual. There is nothing greater than action until we attain these shama dhamma titiksha, vairagya sattva shambhava. These attitudes are what we cultivate through action. Only after this attainment may one be a sannyasi. This is called sannyas, the establishment of truth within. Nyas means to establish within. Sa means truth. Sannyas, who has established truth within or who is established within truth. It's not someone who sits on a throne and says, you... You work, and I'll stay here and give the orders. That's not sannyas. Sannyas is the first one in the field, and the last one home. The first one with the tools, and the last one to sit at the table. Such a one should take refuge with a guru in communion with her own soul who knows the three Vedas, Shrotriya, who is efficient in the practices of union. She knows yoga, chitta, vritti, nirod, yoga, union with the Supreme, who is devoted, who is free from all deception. There he should listen to the wisdom of Vedanta, the ultimate wisdom of the highest, uh, 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 the highest uh, uh, possible wisdom. And always contemplate these meanings as well as the statements of the various principles, the tattvas. Uh, re remember Shankaracharya Sadhana Panchakam. Uh, 
Stay with the guru and listen to the great meanings of wisdom from the Vedas and contemplate these meanings and become one with these meanings. The statements of the various principles give the knowledge that the individual soul is one with the supreme divinity. I am Atma Brahma. Remember from Tatvagyan, Tattvam Asi, Pragamyam Brahma, Aham Brahmashmi. The statements of the various principles give the knowledge that the individual soul, the Jivatma, is one with the supreme soul, the Paramatma. And when this identity, identity is realized, one becomes free from fear and attains my form. That is the form of mother. First, one should understand the meaning of each syllables of the statement, and then the meaning of the entire sentence. Please listen. The word tat, O mountain, is famous as, literally defined as that, the totality of existence. The meaning of the word thwam is only jiva, literally defined as you, the individual soul. Of this, there is no doubt. Narsha, That both tat and thwam are one is known by the word asi. That is you. That thou art. The apparent opposition of the words tat and thwam, tat implying omniscience and other universal qualities, while thwam suggests non-omniscience or transience and other characteristics of a limited nature, is prohibited by a sea. They are one. Only one is contained within the other. Remember, the individual soul is a part of the supreme soul. It's the contained space and the unlimited space, the uncontained space. They are one and the same. The individual is contained and the supreme soul is unlimited. And they are, that is prohibited by the word asi. They are one. One is contained within the other. By definition, they are united in the principle as has been established in the scriptures. Pure consciousness is the goal of this union. From this union does this oneness arise. Towards this oneness proceeds all wisdom, wherein the two do not admit of division. That's the wisdom. I know that the container, the contained bhavana, the contained consciousness is the same as the unlimited consciousness. I am a part of the supreme. I have the same qualities, the same characteristics, the same attributes. And that knowledge is wisdom. David Dutt, his name is a gift of God. It's a man's name indicative of the average reasonable man. Hmm? Here we have the average reasonable man is only the name of a man. And in this way, we remember the figurative definition, the lakshana of a word. So you've got a, 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 a figurative definition of the word, and you've got a literal definition of the word. When a man abandons his gross body, he is no more the lakshana. He is no more the literal definition. He, he is no longer the federal, figurative definition. He becomes one with the supreme. He gives up his individual identity as a jiva. By the process known as Panchakrita, the great elements come into being. We talked about that in our last chapter, the union of all the elements being contained within each other. From the various combinations of these elements comes the gross body. This is the repository of all experience. We called it Vimash. Mm -hmm. 
of old age, affliction, and all action. These elements have no true existence because they are always changing, remember? Brahma, Satya, Jagat, Mitya. The Jagat, all the perceivable universe is in constant transformation and only the supreme divinity is the reality which does not change. They are like bursting flashes of light manifestations of Maya. O oh Lord of mountains, all of these gross attributes are conceptions of my mind. This is my Leela. It always is a flash in my mind. You think your life is, has longevity? To me, it's a flash of a thought. Oh, I just thought of an Ekathmananda. And he was born <laughs> and he grew up to a young man and he became, he became middle-aged and then he became old and decrepit and then he became one with me again. And, <laughs> What was so real to you was just a flash in my mind, just a, a passing thought. <laughs> and you mistook it as real, like seeing a coiled rope and thinking it to be a snake. In the same way, this whole dream sequence of my life <laughs> and all its importance <laughs> was just a passing thought in my mind. When the organs of knowledge and the organs of action are united with the five vital breaths, prana, apana, jnana, udana, samana, and the mind and the intellect alone form the shukshmas, sarir, the subtle body known by inspired poets. So now we've got the, the, the gross body is formed of the, the indriyas and the subtle body is known uh, as the combination of the, the gyanindriya, the karmindriyas unite with the elements and form the stulsrir, the gross body. The gyanindriyas unite with the five vital breaths and they form the subtle. And from the great elements of existence which did not come into manifested being through the panchakrita process, the subtle body of this great soul manifests. And this is the second attribute wherein exists the knowledge of pleasure and pain. They're all thoughts. Your body doesn't feel pleasure, your mind feels pleasure. So the pleasure happens in the subtle body. And the pain happens in the subtle body. It's not my foot that has pain. It's my mind that keeps thinking about my foot. As soon as my mind thinks about something else, I forget all about the pain. So if you don't like your circumstances, just change your thought. Put yourself in a different position, in a different circumstance. This ignorance is without beginning, indescribable, and is the third attribute. The illumination of this body, mind, and soul is performed by the causal soul, the karanatma, and otherwise cause the causal body, O Lord of Mountains. We have the union of body, mind, and soul becoming the karan atma, the soul of all causes, the causal body, the, the uh, karan deho. This is the, where all have its root, all have its origin, O Lord of Mountains. And when all these attributes cease from production or attachment, only the soul remains. And the three bodies and the five sheaths, remember the anamai and the pranamai, and the manamai and the beganamai and the anandamai, all those five koshas on the three levels of consciousness, the gross body, the subtle body, the causal body, and we've got the five sheets, the five constituencies, consistencies of uh, uh, how, how fine is my perception. The anamai, I perceive atoms, I perceive matter. Pranamai, I perceive breath. Monamai, I perceive concepts. Beganamai, I perceive the light of wisdom. Anandamai, I perceive the consistency of thought. And when the consistency of matter 
The consistency of air, the consistency of thought, the consistency of one-pointed light or wisdom, the consistency of the bliss of infinite consciousness. Form the inner residence always. That's home. I mean, we, everybody's got a home. You gotta have a place to call home, and that's the one. Sat Chit Ananda. Always. All the rest are borrowed, rented residences. We are transients, renting these various different places which we call home for a while. But Sat Chit Ananda is the ultimate residence. Always. When one abandons or moves beyond the five sheets, the five consistencies, the five coverings, the five envelopes, Brahmapuch, the ultimate end of divinity, is attained. This is my form. And has been described in various ways as neti neti, not this, not that meaning not limited to any form. <laughs> it is not born, nor does it die. Never at any time did it not exist. Nor can anything exist without it. It is unborn, eternal, everlasting, ancient, and it is not slain with the body. If one thinks it is slain or thinks it is the slayer, both of them do not know, for it does not kill, nor can it be killed. We're talking about this soul, the supreme essence. It is neti neti. It's not this and it's not that, but it is not devoid of being. It is subtler than the subtlest and greater than the greatest as a baby within the womb. Seeing the activities born of darkness and remaining free from all sorrow, these are the blessings of its greatness. The soul is known as the master of the chariot, and the body is the chariot. The intellect is known as the driver, and the mind is the reins. The organs of knowledge and action are the horses, and all perceivable objects become concerns for attention. They're all knocking on the door, come, look, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Every perceivable object in existence is calling, pay attention to me. Now, the intellect is the driver, and the soul is the master of the chariot, and the body is the chariot, and the soul will say, ah, not interested. <laughs> I've got more important fish to fry. I've got other things to do. I've got, this is of minor consequence in my life. I'm not ready to leave my path to take your tangent. When the soul is united with the organs of knowledge and action and the mind, then it becomes the enjoyer of all experience. Whoever is ignorant, unmindful, and always impure has no capacity to attain this wisdom. Such people will remain in bondage to objects and relationships of the world who acts with knowledge, who is mindful and always pure, such people attain the goal and become even greater. The human who keeps knowledge as his charioteer and keep, keeps a tight rein on his mind becomes capable of the highest attainment. He is mine and resides in the highest abode. Thus, one should listen, contemplate, and deeply meditate. Shravanam, mananam, nidhitashanam. On the soul of all souls. 
with an attitude of intensity, one should deeply meditate upon the form of my soul. Before entering into the fullest and most complete union, one should deeply intuit, bhavayid, you should deeply intuit the bhavana, the attitude, the bhavayid. You've got to deeply, deeply experience with a supreme sincerity of attitude and the greatest intensity of devotion, the three letters encompassing all wisdom incorporated in the pranava, which is the highest, highest symbolic utterance of the goddess the Devi Pranam. The three letters of the Devi Pranam. I bow to you. For the purpose of this meditation, the mantra is being explained. <clears throat> Please listen. The letter Ha means the gross body. While the letter Ra means the subtle. The letter E means the causal body and the anuswar. Um, that's the anuswar, the sound of an atom. Means indicates the turiya state, that which is beyond. Ring, body and beyond is the beach of Maya. Maya was the great limitation, definition, exposure of consciousness. She is one with the energy and she's one with the consciousness and ring is the Devi Pranam, which is the great limitation of consciousness. The Devi Pranam. What can be perceived through the senses, what can be conceived in the mind, what can be known through intuition, meditation, etc. And beyond, if there's any errors or omissions, please let me know. And beyond, and knowing these three letters to be the order of the universal body of existence, the aspirant will deeply intuit bhavain, the unity between the universal body of existence and the individual body of a particular existence. The, the paramatma and the jivatma, yukt, yukt kotse. Prior to the time of samadhi, pure intuitive absorption, having deeply intuited as previously described, one should fix oneself in meditation on heavenly light, on the goddess, on me, on the supreme divinity of all existence. Make the inflowing breath equal to the outflowing breath. And destroy all movement within. We call that bastrika. Offer attention only to that which is changeless, without modification. Be free from all defects such as jealousy, etc. All of them. Kam, krod, lo, mo, moda, matsalcha. Be free from all the repus, all the defects of my thinking. Possibly some of your thinking as well. The devotee. Attaining to freedom from all afflictions unites within the cave of his breast. The letter Ha, which is the substratum of the universe, all that can be perceived through the senses, will be dissolved into the letter Ra. 
letter raw, which is the light of the God, should be dissolved into the letter E. And the letter E, which is a soul of individual intelligence, should be dissolved into ring, 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 ring. Maya. There, in this space, exists nothing about which is spoken nor any speech by which to speak. Any attitude of duality is forbidden. It is indivisible sat-chit-ananda. True existence, consciousness, and bliss. Sitting within the highest part of the head, this is the meditation on me. O king, which the most excellent of humanity can actually perform, my form and your own self both are one in continuous association. United in yoga, my universal soul, higher than the highest, is perceived all ignorance and its effects are immediately destroyed. Good, wrong. Om Sam Saraswati Thank you. Let's see if there are any questions or any words by which questions could be asked, nor any other words by which answers could be attempted. <laughs> because the scriptures are going to tell us na iti, na iti, <coughs> neti, neti. It's not iti, and it's not iti, it's neti, neti. Please. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti and Elijah. Namaste, the both of you together watching. Namaste to you both. Namaste, Sriman Swamiji. Swamiji, could you please do us a favor and chant the mantra Hreem again? It's taking us inside very quickly. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nad Shakti is the subtle vibration, the subtle energy contained in the mantra. What we are listening to through the ear is not the subtle vibration. That's the gross vibration. What we are feeling inside is that vibration permeates our body as it moves through the entire spectrum of our world, the land of the seven rivers, the land of Bharat, where the land of where the light of wisdom always shines, and we feel that vibration vibrating all throughout this Bharat Vash, this land where the light of wisdom is always radiating. That's the subtle Nad Shakti. That's the subtle vibration of the mantra. All that can be perceived through the senses, conceived in the mind, known through intuition and meditation and beyond, up to the sound of an atom. That's the vibration. Yes, please. We have a question from Ambika. <clears throat> Namaste, Ambika. From verse 24, would you also define Lakshana as our personality? And the second question, is our Lakshana defined by our karma? Thank you. No, uh, 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 our personality is one expression of our Lakshana. The Lakshana is the, the, the definition of me. How 
has nature defined me and how do I define myself? Both of them. And there is a literal definition. You see, every object has a vibration. The sum total of all the vibrations, vi every object has a molecular structure. And inside all these molecules are these atoms, and the atoms have all this movement and vibration, and the protons, the electrons, and, and the quarks, and Higgs boson, they're all moving in this vortex of empty space, and all movement creates friction, and all friction creates vibration, and all vibration emits sound, and all sounds are expressible through a subtle vibration and an audible vibration. So there are some sounds, and I'm sure you're aware that only dogs can hear, and we are incapable of hearing them, but they are not devoid of sound. There are some vibrations that we hear very readily and can relate to immediately, like the sound of a swami screeching through the, through the computer. So when you get this sound vibration, uh, then the, this is the natural name of what that object is calling itself. And then there's the other definition that I call me. So I call Ambika a musician and a teacher and a mother and a wife and a, a sister and, a, and a, my beloved friend. I have so many names that I call you, but what are all your vibrations calling yourself? That's the Bij Mantra. So this Lakshana has two forms. We have a figurative and a literal definition. The literal definition of you is, what do you call you? The figurative definition is, what do I call you? Ah, so some people look at this Swami and they call him a a silly boy, and some people say he's a nice guy, and some people say he's a, he's a, a, a carnival barker, and everyone has a different lakshana, a different definition for the way they call me. But what happens to this literal vibration that's going on inside me? That's what I'm calling myself. So when we're talking about the definition, we have a figurative definition and a literal definition. The figurative definition is dependent upon someone else's point of view. The literal definition is dependent on your intrinsic nature. Yes, please. She has a follow-up to that. She asks, is our lakshana related to our dharma? In many ways it is, and in other ways you are more than the sum total of definitions that people ascribe to you. Uh, Ambika, your dharma is your highest ideal of perfection, and some of us selfish people see you only in terms of how do you relate to what I want? How do you relate to my desire? So I don't conceive that to be your highest ideal of perfection. That means your highest ideal of utility who, to whoever's looking at you. That is not the same. So let's not confuse the terms. The terms are that your highest definition is your highest dharma. And if somebody has a different definition for you that may or may not be in keeping with your highest dharma. Uh, so, I hope I answered that question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, Ramima. Swamiji, Mother has said that we have to put every effort to attain wisdom. Yes. Uh, and then she talks about doing action with wisdom. Yes. Please enlighten us. What is this wisdom? Because when we act, there is one wisdom in terms of knowing how to do the activity at a gross level. Yes. But is there a higher level? There is a higher. 
There is a higher definition of wisdom, and that is the wisdom is that I get the privilege of serving you with love, and I get the privilege of performing this action with the greatest of gentility and generosity and the greatest bhavana that I possibly can, that I am privileged to be able to perform this action for you, and that becomes wisdom. When you respect your actions, you pay attention to what you do. You're not longing for the fruits of what you're going to get by doing that action, but you're just longing for the opportunity to demonstrate the sincerity of your love by doing that action. And then you're, then you're wise. <laughs> That's wisdom. And if I know how to do the, the action, and maybe I learn how to do the action, and then I'm doing the action thing, God, when can I get this done? So I got on to the next task, and I've got a list this long, and this is only one, and I don't want to spend too much time here. And I'm in confusion, and I'm being held back, and I'm being pulled back. I'm not enjoying the action. I'm not acting with wisdom. I act with knowledge. But knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Knowledge is an apprehension of the true fact. And wisdom is the application of knowledge to circumstance for the greater harmony of all. So I may know lots of facts. That doesn't make me wise. What makes me wise is using my knowledge for the benefit of others. Just as a privilege to demonstrate my love. That's wisdom. You may be a walking encyclopedia. But that's not the same as being wise. Knowing which true fact to apply to which situation, to generate a greater harmony and a greater benefit for more people, that's wisdom. That's a much greater application of wisdom than just being a walking encyclopedia. Yes, please. Swamiji, what is the Bija Mantra of the Sahasrara? Of the Sahasrara? Om. And that's the same as Agna? Yeah. Oh. Just keep going. Om. <laughs> same part. Same part. Yes, please. You have a question from J. Ma James. Namaste, J. Ma. Somewhat related to the last answer. So the highest wisdom is born from love? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. Being in love is the highest wisdom. But Really being in love is not the same as being in infatuation. It's not the same as being in, I like you a lot. <laughs> it's not the same. I mean, we've got to distinguish between I love your dress, and I love the play, and I love the food, and I love my guru, and I love God. We've got to distinguish between the various planes of love, the various intensities of love, the various commitments of love, the various freedoms that we get from being in love. Because love... And we posted a very beautiful poem about love on our website today. If any of you get an opportunity, please hey, just glance at the home page and you'll find a, a poem from Khalil Gibran. Uh, and he talks about love. <laughs> and what love will demand from us and what love asks from us. And what do we get for making that commitment? Please take a moment and read that poem. It won't take you long. It was an offering that we made for Srima uh, in honor of Mother's Day. Yes, Bish? Swami, with, the, with the, the highest ideal of perfection to serve wholeheartedly, sometimes, even in the midst of doing the service, using example for Ma, we fall out of that and it does become a task. Help us, give us a technique and, and something to help us get out of that as quickly as possible and back into the, the bhavana of uh, unbounded service without any uh, regard for fruit of action. 
There is only one technique that I have found to work in such circumstances, and that is Java. And that is con constant repetition of the mantra. What a privilege it is to serve you. What a privilege it is to demonstrate the sincerity of my love by my doing what I'm doing right now. Go ahead. Uh, you, you, allow me to demonstrate it one more time. I remember when we were putting the solar panels at the top of the mountain and carrying the cement bags up to the top of the mountain and by the end of the day they were getting very heavy. And I kept saying, I don't know if I can make one more trip. And then I said, I bet I can. <laughs> because each one of these bags is a bag full of love just to show mom how much I appreciate her presence in my life. I'm going to take each step, no matter how heavy this gets, each step is a demonstration of the sincerity of my love, the privilege that I have to show her. <clears throat> I don't get too many opportunities to share my love with Srima. <laughs> She's not that kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> so carrying cement to the top of the mountain was one of my great opportunities. Yes, please. Um, in verse 35, it says, um, it refers to the, uh, the analogy of the charioteer and the, the horse and the steed. And that's, I remember learning about that in, in Greek philosophy as well, is which came first? Who's, who's stealing from who? Oh, it doesn't matter. Actually, it's in the Bhagavad Gita as well. Actually, it's it's in many of it's in the Kenya Upanishad as well. Actually, we subscribe to a theory that there was an Indo-Aryan civilization which was predecessor to the Vedic culture. We're talking about ancient history now. Because in the earliest parts of the Veda, they are describing what the customs were in their ancient home. Which meant to me, and to people of the school that I studied in, that there must have been a home before this one. What we call the Indus Valley Harappa culture. There must have been something to precede it. And we talk about Vishnu taking three steps. And we know that was the gross body and the subtle body and the causal body, and that's what we're interested in. But we also know that there was Greek culture, there was uh, Mesopotamian culture, and there was Vedic culture. And all three of the languages, customs, uh, many of the names, many of the deities, many of the customs uh, are very common. For example, we have our deity Agni, the fire. And in uh, Jendavesta, which is the scripture of Parsis, or uh, what we call Zoroastrian, Joroastri, who wields the weapon against ignorance in Sanskrit. But Joroastrianism was, had the deity of Agni. And, uh, of course, as we migrated a little farther west, we find Adoni, and Adonis, and Adonai, and you go on and on and on, and it, there are so many examples that it cannot be, it can't just be a, a circumstance or, or uh, some kind of a, uh, it, it, it's not a, a, an accident. It didn't happen by ha happenstance. There was some common root culture which uh, made a correspondence between these three civilizations. And we postulate an, a language called Indo-Aryan, which became the root of classical Sanskrit, uh, 
and then it became the root of, uh, of uh, Parsi or uh, uh, Arabic languages and it became the root of Greek, uh, Greco-Roman and the Romance languages. And we find so many similarities all throughout the different cultures that came and made them sister states or the sister civilizations, or that they are related. So you found Mesopotamian coins in Harappa. And you find Greco, uh, uh, Greek philosophy. All the, I mean, we know Pythagoras was studying, he, he was drawing uh, lines in the sand. And what they called geometry uh, was you know, really drawing yantras and expressing Explaining the, the the geography, the 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 map of the universe through geographical symbols, which is very common to what we find. Did he find algebra? He algebra. That came later, Ma. They started with geometry. And you had uh, Pythagoras and Pythagorean rules, and he had these postulates and uh, the, these uh, uh, theories, theorems, and uh, postulations. And they made uh, all kinds of geographical figures. And over Plato's academy, over the door, read a sign, let no one without geometry enter here. And what it really meant was, don't let anybody who hasn't measured the earth come in here. This is a place for people with curious minds who want to measure the earth, who want to understand the cosmos, who want to understand philosophy, the philosophy, the, the wisdom and the harmony of the sweetest song. So we find a correspondence between the three three cultures, and uh, uh, I think that's why there are many similarities. Yes, please. You were relating those three cultures to the three steps of Vishnu? Yes, we do, because Vishnu pre pervades all. Thanks, Vishnu. Uh, Vishnu pervades the universe, and Vishnu took three steps, and where did he go? Well, he, he went everywhere there's threes. <laughs> Where would you go? I'd go to Napa, I'd go to mom's house, and I'd go to the temple, that's all. Vishnu, he created three civilizations which were common, which had a common heritage and a common root. And uh, you know, it's very possible that they are all origin, originating from a common heritage. Yes, please. We have a question from Elijah. Yes, Elijah, namaste. In verse 45, Mother tells us to make the inflowing and outflowing breath equal. Yes. How does, how does one attain this? Can we use the 142 pranayama? No. 142 is not equal. <laughs> one, four, two is not equal. We use the one, one. It's a process called bhastrika. And it's one of the forms of pranayama. We're going to study uh, many other forms of pranayama uh, in the various chapters here, especially in chapter 11, uh, and I believe in chapter 9 there's a reference to it as well. Uh, so we will have other th forms. The bhastrika is... The inflowing breath. The prana is equal to the outflowing breath of water. Oh, this is the technique that they are recommending in this chapter. I yes. That. So there's no hold in that technique? There is no hold. There is no retention. And when do we use that technique? Uh, when you're meditating on her, prior to the time of samadhi. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll forget all the other techniques you will forget there is a technique. And you'll just relax into the regularity and equality of each inhalation and exhalation until you reach to Brahma Pooch, which is, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> There's no word by which to speak and there is no word by which to describe. 
Yes, please. Can we talk about Pucha? Like, no. What? What? <laughs> no, just uh, epistemologically, at least, because Ucha is Ucha. Come no, 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 Pucha. <laughs> Pucha, not Ucha. It's Pucha. It's the purification. It's the, the, the total, the total union in Brahma, like Punchkina. <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> It's the purity, the clarity, the understanding, the illumination, and dissolution of you. And therefore, there's no word to describe what it is. It's not iti naiti. It's niti niti. Yes, please. So, but with that equal breath, does it become like shallower and shallower, but still equal? Do you go deeper and deeper? Is it a deep if you go deeper and deeper, you won't be paying attention to your breath anymore. You stop counting. It just becomes the natural ebb and the flow of the breath. And then you forget that you're controlling it. And you don't. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha. Namaste. <laughs>